politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, to the Conservative Review podcast on this fine fall Wednesday here at our Northern Command Center. And we are back after a brief hiatus. And um, I'm sorry I've been out a lot of Tuesdays. Next Tuesday, I do have a speaking engagement, but we'll try to get in a show that day. Um, Certainly, whenever we're out, so much work piles up because there are so many stories, ideas, policies that are in play for the future of our civilization, where there really is no leadership on the right. There is no vision as to where we should head. Whenever I come back, I try to do triage. All right, what needs to be dealt with first? And you know, often here we cover national security, crime, illegal immigration, border security. And I'll often say how nothing could systemically destroy a society, a civilization more than having an open border where you basically merge all of the social ills, all of the poverty, all of the crime, the drugs, the gangs from the world, and you bring it here. And what happened was I was I was talking to my colleague, Chris Pandelfo, and I said, hey, you know, w- w- what really needs attention? And he said, Daniel, if we don't stop this rainbow jihad, that's what it is, this alphabet soup, sexual alphabet, alphabet soup, licentious insanity of castrating and mutilating children or adults, but especially with children, there's no civilization to fight for. And I thought that was a terrific point. See, even borders and illegal immigration and crime, it doesn't matter because what sort of civilization are we trying to preserve or from which we are trying to protect against uh, you know, external threats If the problem's within, if the problem is us, if the problem is that we now have a society where they will go to a hospital or a doctor and cut someone's balls off. And yes, today we are not going to mince words because we are so inundated with information. And often when you don't use the proper terminology and you use the euphemisms, people become desensitized to what's going on where we could literally have a movement that a masochist, self-immolating movement that seeks to cut people's genitalia off and they use some sort of mellifluous sounding name to sanitize it. And those on the so-called right just sit back as if nothing happened. So obviously by now, most of you who are up to date know I'm talking about the Jack Youngner tragedy going on in Texas. And that's really a big part of this, the fact that this is going on in in, in red states like Texas. States like Texas. And even to the extent there's talk of, you know, Texas turning blue, a component of that is the Hispanic population, but they're not for this nonsense. They don't support this nonsense. Almost nobody supports it. So obviously... While I was out, you had this case with uh, um, Jeff Young Youngner locked in this uh, custody fight with Ann Gorgulus, this 
wacko ex-wife of his who wants to take their seven-year-old boy, one of two sons of twins, and wants to castrate the kid. Chemical castration, I don't know if it's eventual physical castration. And a jury sided with her and basically gave her complete custody and said the guy, the father, James Youngner, or um, Jeffrey Youngner, can't have anything to do with James and cannot treat him like a boy, cannot have him around anyone who will treat him like a boy. Now, a lot of people are focusing on the custody aspect, the court aspect. The judge is supposed to issue some final ruling in a couple hours, so we'll have to wait for tomorrow with that. But there's something much more fundamental going on here. Something much more fundamental. And I don't know why I'm the only one bringing it up this directly. But why is it even legal for any medical practitioner to castrate someone? So, I mean, you could talk about tragic cases with battles for custody in the courts where one parent is abusive and wants to do something to a child that's really very abusive. So, for example, let's say to cross-dress the child and just all in all just mentally ill treat the kid like um a girl in this case cuz he's a boy but we're not we're not ta- we're not even talking about that here we're talking about going to the step of castrating the kid so that requires some sort of medical intervention some sort of interaction with a healthcare practitioner a hospital a doctor, how is that even legal? If I, and forget about even kids, forget about custody, a consenting adult. If I go up to, could I go up to a doctor and say, I want you to chop my arm off. I want you to chop my leg off. I mean, I think we should all agree. Well, that's, a, you, you can't do that. And indeed the doctor won't do that. Yet, There is not a single state where it's illegal, not in Texas, not in Idaho, not in Wyoming, no red state. As we always say on this show, there is no such thing as a red state. You look at a blue state and you'll understand what it means to be blue. You don't have that mirror image in red states. And we're going to talk about that specifically through the context of the rainbow jihad and the so-called castration transgender agenda. But in this case... If, if you castrate someone, that is a hundred times more systemically damaging to a person than chopping off an extremity or example of an arm or a leg. I mean, it's practically the worst thing you could do to someone after killing them. And again, I'm talking about, forget about the confusion of what a kid, certainly a kid can't understand what they're talking about. In this case, the father alleges that it's not even the kid. If you take his side of the story, which I'm certainly more inclined to do, because the mother has already demonstrated she is mentally ill. And is just a very sick, demented person who should be locked up. But according to the father, it's all coming from the mother and the kid is totally normal around him. And she's the one implanting this in his mind and actually engaging in psychological abuse to to demand of him that he acts like a girl. But that's that, I'm not even talking about that. What I'm saying is the antecedent to this entire problem, 
the antecedent here is the fact that somehow it's even legal. Why is Governor Greg Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who controls the legislature, right, in the southern states, Lieutenant Governors pretty much run the state legislature, why are they not calling the Texas legislature into a special session and criminalizing castration? I mean, unless there's cancer or gangrene in, a, in, a, in an extremity or in a genitalia, um, you can't do that. It's a violation of the Hippocratic Oath. We shouldn't have to do this, but at this stage in life, we need to do this. Republicans control the trifecta of government and the governorship in both houses of the legislature in 22 states. Where's the action? I'm going to tell you something. It's an observation I haven't heard anywhere else. But to me, it demonstrates not just the insanity of our country, which, again, I don't think it's anywhere near a majority of people. It's, it's a very small percentage of demented people. But all it takes for evil to persist and succeed is for good people to do nothing. And because good people only have their political outlet through the prism of the phony, broken, perfidious Republican Party, well, guess what? That's exactly what we have. Good people doing nothing. In the state of Texas, I mean, could you imagine in California, and this is certainly not the equivalent on the right wing end, but if you had a parent who barred a kid from acting like a homosexual. Oh, terrible, terrible. Could you imagine California, and it taking place in California, could you imagine California Democrats just like ignoring it? Now, I've been out, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see any major fight from any of the statewide Texas elected representatives. I have not seen it on their social media. Maybe one of them has commented one time. Correct me if I'm wrong. Where are they? This is the bigger story. I mean, if you would have told me 10, 15 years ago we'd be having this in this country, I'd think you're crazy. But I would have thought if this would be happening, the entire right would be inflamed. But really, it's the same people. It's the Matt Walsh's, it's the Daily Wire, it's, you know, my colleagues here and our network, handful of others. Chip Roy obviously spoke out about it. The usual good guys. But this somehow is not galvanizing. Now, there is a whole, you know, conservatives rarely get traction on Twitter, but this hashtag... Uh, protect uh protect james youngner protect james youngner i think that's uh it demonstrates i think the people are horrified by this but we have no political leadership we should have a, a legislative session to straight up criminalize this but anyway i stepped on my point to make this juxtaposition to blue states did you know that in almost that in I believe 18 blue states like the West Coast, the Northeast, maybe even New Mexico and the District of Columbia. Almost half the states, pretty much wherever the Democrats have full control, they have criminalized what is called gay conversion therapy, which is nothing more than, you know, two adults consensually agreeing to have a contract to, you know, engage in therapy. The guy is not touching him, much less immutably mutilating and 
disfiguring the person. Yet they are saying, no, the homosexual agenda is sacred. It's from God. Someone is, quote, gay, and that's somehow immutable. And no, you can't do that. Yet not a single red state criminalizes chopping someone's balls off. So when you put the two together, what that means is that our political elites in both parties are essentially saying that it is more natural for a man to be a woman than for a man to be a man, right? A man could say, I want to be a woman, and that's natural. A doctor could just scalpel, you know, cut, gone. That's, that's okay. But for a man to be a regular man with normal proclivities, no. That we're going we're gonna to criminalize any effort to just engage in therapy to, to work on that person. See, when you punch this movement in the face, you'll notice its support is a mile wide and an inch deep. What has happened is, it's not that the world went crazy in a matter of 10 years. I'm a strong believer that technology and social media did a lot of this. That you had this existing radical group of people, and what social media did is, and especially with, I think, the substantial evidence that social media with the algorithms and all the Silicon Valley companies are tilting the playing field towards one side, what it has done is it's magnified and it's spread the cancer everywhere that people think everyone thinks this way because they're just so incessant, they're so indefatigable, they're everywhere. Everyone's like, it's not that most people agree with it. There's a silent majority that opposes it. We spoke about this last week when Governor Matt Bevin's allies ran the ad against the transgender jihad in girls' sports, and his numbers went up by eight points. There's no question the silent majority opposes this. But it's kind of like in an authoritarian society where, you know, at any given point, there's, let's say, an old Soviet Russia KGB agents, and everyone's scared. No one wants to speak out because they don't know when someone's going to jump out at them. That's what it's like. But if you just punch it right in the face, you'll have a jailbreak and um, people will start speaking out. I think we saw that in the Chick-fil-A moment a number of years ago. And I, I think that still persists. I think we all understand that the one-sided fight, cultural warriors on the left without any response on the right for the last decade has taken its toll on society. And I think I would readily admit that probably the median cultural value in this country is to the left of where the audience on the show is. But they sure as heck are not holding by castration. But this is what Republicans did. They lied to us and they, they tried to convince um, Republican voters that like, hey, everyone supports this stuff and there's nothing you can do about it. So let's just ease off of it and let the left do whatever they want. But what we're seeing in this case is you can't let them do that. I mean, I thought I've seen everything in life, but for them to grab a seven-year-old kid and just castrate the kid, you need an emergency session. I mean, remember when we had Terry Schiavo and they were going to take her off of life, life support, which is not nearly as insane philosophically, not that I agree with it, but as insane as what's going on here. And it was all hands on deck a legislative session in, in Washington, in Congress. The Senate should convene 
and strip the federal courts of jurisdiction to adjudicate any of these cases of state laws doing this, and states need to, need to combat this. Where are they? We don't have a conservative majority in a single state government. That is the brutal, brutal reality. I'm sorry to bring this guy, th th this uh, dose of truth to you. Am I missing something? I mean, I mean, where is the impetus to act? I'm just not seeing it. Now, um, obviously, in this case, it's more tragic than even the kid being, you know, suffer for, suffering from gender dysphoria. It's not even clear he does. Um, but I, I mean, I think those of you who have kids, this is very scary because, look, I got three boys. I have a seven-year-old boy, seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a, a four-year-old. And um, I mean, you know, kids are quirky. Kids are weird. To a certain extent, that's normal. And they're forever playing imagination and dress up and acting out. Um, the seven-year-old is always, it's really annoying. He puts on this bunny voice and he says, I'm a bunny. And um, starts, starts doing it. So, I mean, what, what, what are we going to start? And, you know, and sometimes they slither on the floor and do their little things. So are we going to chop off their legs if they say, I'm a bunny? So especially if you have a culture that's now specifically pushing this stuff, and, and if you have a parent that's actually going to push it, you know, it doesn't take much to get a kid into that to start, you know, playing the opposite gender stuff. You know, it's no different than playing uh, an animal, you know, personification of an animal. Or uh, or acting animalistic as a human. And that's really very normal behavior before you even get to mental illness. So in this case, um. Uh, you know, according to Matt Walsh, who has a good article here at the Daily Wire, the Texan reported that um, at least the father saying that this mother said that the son is is really a woman based on his affinity for the movie Frozen and his re request to get a girl toy from McDonald's. She also says he started expressing a wish to dress in girls' clothing. But Jeff Younger recently explained in an interview that if James ever had any desire to wear dresses, it's only because his mother started putting him in dresses and painting his nails when he was just three years old. He claims that she used several other methods of manipulation, including locking the boy in his room and telling him that the monsters only eat boys. Jeff speculates that um, Gorgulus would withhold affection from James if he did not act like a girl. And, um, but again, we need not get involved in a messy custody battle in the courts. There's a very simple solution. You wall this off. You make it illegal to engage in that. So you could do whatever you want. And, you know, so even if a court decides, a, you know, a, a makes a terrible decision to give a kid over to a mentally ill I won't even say mentally ill, just an evil, demented woman like this. At the very least, it should be illegal to actually go and chemically and physically castrate and mutilate someone. I challenge anyone to tell me how cutting off someone's penis 
is better, somehow less problematic than offering to cut off someone's leg or arm. Because it's not. I mean, th- th- this is much worse. It's mu- much more systemically damaging, not to mention the follow-up hormonal mutilations and everything they inject into the body. They don't live long. The suicide is insane. Um, but what you're seeing in this case is it doesn't even take much. It's not like you have a kid that's totally suffers from gender dysphoria, completely mentally ill with that. This is just, it's not even clear there's, there's anything out of the ordinary here based on what we know. So it's not like Republicans have anything better to do anyway. What are they doing today? They're, they're, uh, they're trying to concoct a resolution opposing Trump's pullout from Syria. <laughs> so the funny thing is, it's likely unconstitutional to have troops there because Congress never authorized it. And they're not upset with the, you know, the president and previous presidents deploying troops without congressional authorization. They're upset that he's de- pulling them out without authorization. And as we mentioned on our show on Monday, Blockbuster Show, if you haven't seen it, with uh, a retired Captain Jason Jones from Texas DPS's uh, Intel and Counterterrorism Division, we have a failed state to our south that's much more important than Syria, and none of these guys care about that. What else are they doing? They're passing three budget bills, appropriation bills, busting the budget caps. I mean, they already decided that last year, but it's not like, you know, just because you passed a bill saying you can spend more money, which is what they did in September, they busted the budget caps, it doesn't mean you have to then go and appropriate the funding for it. But that's what they're doing this week. So, um, oh, thank, thankfully, finally, after years of sanctuary cities, Lindsey Graham's Senate Judiciary Committee did hold a hearing on sanctuary cities. But there's no impetus to do anything with it and make Democrats take tough votes um on those issues which as always you know we'll we'll catch up on that later in the week or next week lots more sanctuary legal immigration news but again you know to quote my colleague chris it's hard to get hyped up about any other news story when this is going on i don't know why this doesn't trigger a terry shivo moment times 10 i mean i remember back in you know, when, when, when I started my career in this, even establishment pu- Republicans would have been triggered by this. And now even so-called conservative ones are, are barely anywhere to be seen. We have the most extreme policies taking place in red states. When Democrats get in power, they control a state, boom. Anything they want to do on illegal immigration, on crime, on gender bending, on LGQFU, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, whatever they want to do, they enact. They enact swiftly. They enact categorically without any compromise. But yet when Republicans control all three branches in Texas, they're just sitting there. Dan Patrick is too busy concerned with gun control. So the same way you have jailbreak and criminal justice deform In the state of Texas, you have castration, forced castration against a kid 
going on. But 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 again, it's not just a kid. You know, one of the writers, um, and I'm not criticizing him, I, I forget his name, but he just uh, responded to my article on Twitter. One of the Daily Wire writers said, you know, because I, I was saying it's time for states to to uh, criminalize this and ban it. And he just subtweets me at least for kids. Well, what do you mean at least for kids? I mean, that that's a separate issue, but for anyone. You know, if I say, go chop off my arm, you can't, you can't legally go and do that. Go kill me. You can't, you can't do that. It's not, it's nothing to do with adult consent. There are certain things you just can't do as a society. I mean, think about, think about this. We regulate every aspect of healthcare in America, as you well know. What they could do, what they can't do. I mean, it's insane. The regulations. Think about this. End of life treatments. There are so many people with terminal illnesses who have no no recourse. Um, you know, no, at least non miraculous recourse without the grace of God. God wants to just perform a miracle for them. But you know, basically, from what we see, the guys, you know, three to six weeks to live. You know, it's gotten a little easier over the years, but still, there are so many experimental um, treatments and, and, and medications that they're trying to break out into the market. There's so many regulations. It's so hard. Even, I mean, there's been cases, really terminally ill people that cannot get these treatments. That, that, that's how much we regulate, you know, the safety of healthcare in this country. Sometimes too much. But yet in all 50 states, Someone could just come to a doctor and say, hey, I want my balls cut off. Or a female saying, I want you know, my genitalia cut off. And they'll do it. And, and, and in many states, they're required to do it. And they have to get like a religious liberty exemption. In some states, you can't even get that. But as I tell people, this has nothing to do with religion. I was telling my colleague, he put the term social conservative in his article. And I said, look, this is not just about social conservatism. You need not be a social conservative to believe there's something wrong with cutting someone's balls off. I mean, we, we move beyond that. We're not, what, what we're fighting for today is not even social conservatism with religious liberty that's property rights and conscience rights. There's nothing to do with religion. <clears throat> you can't force me to service your garbage. And um, with castration, I mean, that's the Hippocratic Oath. There's nothing to do with anything. Let's not limit this to some oh, social. Oh, we need religious liberty. We need to protect the religious community from from castration. Well, don't we need to protect everyone from that? I mean, that's what I'm saying. If people want to live in sin, so that's that's one level. We're not we're not talking about that. There's there's you know immoral sexual proclivities and activities. It is what it is. We're not the ones blocking that. You can do whatever you want in this country. It's the other side that is taking their pagan religion, which evidently is stronger than any other real religion, and, 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 and shoving their stuff on society. I was hoping this case would be a watershed moment, the Youngner case. I don't know if it will be. 
We need leaders. That's the problem. Where are they? Has Ted Cruz said anything? I mean, maybe he did. Again, I was out yesterday, so I can't confirm he didn't. But I certainly can't find anything on the governor's uh, Twitter, Greg Abbott or Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. What about the Attorney General? Again, you might think, oh, this is some sort of private court battle for custody. That, that's beside the point here. That you have crazy jurors, crazy judges. That's a whole other story. Liberal judges in the state of Texas. These are local judges. You would think, you know, over the years of Republican governance, the type of people who would be on the bench would be good. They're not. But that's besides the point. Republicans control the state legislature and the governor's mansion. There is no reason why this act shouldn't be criminalized. So even if the mother were to get custody and unfortunately continue in this terrible, terrible psychological um, abuse of this kid, at least you don't have a mutable masochism going on. Man, that's where we are with this. And just before moving on, I just want to close the loop on this discussion of conservatives lacking any leadership vehicle, any frontline generals in this civilization clash. Um, and, and this is a clash, again, it's a clash like, like no other. You cannot recover from this. There, there's, no, there's nowhere you can go from this. This is it. This is the de-civilization agenda, as we speak about so often here, um, in its most radical form. So where are these leadership, you know, social conservative groups, so-called conservative representatives? You know, what's funny. It's not just that they're MIA. I'd rather they be MIA. Instead, they say a biblical godly agenda is the Soros agenda. So, I mean, look, you guys remember me talking about this. The Family Research Council, Tony Perkins. They support criminal justice reform. They supported the First Step Act. So we have, I mean, this requires all hands on deck. We have the Rainbow Jihad, the sexual licentious alphabet soup agenda all over the place. And they're like, hey, you know, I don't think Soros has enough money, backing, and prestige in pushing open borders and Muslim refugees pro-criminal laws, let's go and help him and say that that's the Christian thing to do, that's the biblical thing to do, that's what God wants, that's what Jesus wants. I mean, this is what's happening. So, meanwhile, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we had a number of Republican senators complaining that Trump wasn't bringing in enough uh, refugees from the Middle East. Well, guess what? A group of 18 House members sent a letter led by this guy, Congressman Huizenga in Michigan, saying the same thing. And I was floored, Ken Buck, Congressman Ken Buck from Colorado. I've had kind of a funny relationship with him the last number of years. Um, I called him out when he sabotaged the, rebe- the rebellion against John Boehner for speaker a couple of years ago. We kind of made up and worked together on some important issues. I thought he was doing good on immigration. Then he screwed us on a whole bunch of issues since then. So now he wants more refugees. 
when we have an, a, a one million person backlog in immigration court with all these bogus asylees and all these other categories we spoke about? I mean, who needs these people? They've replaced fighting for our civilization with destroying our civilization and promoting the Soros agenda. I mean, the, these are the same people. We, we have Soros pumping in millions of dollars to promote refugee resettlement, to promote um, jailbreak, abolish prison, abolish ICE policies. Why do we need Republican congressmen and phony social conservative groups to lend their name and their prestige and often money to this? Just go home. And I want to tie into the next um, next issue here. But it's it's really connected. It's connected of how we are losing the fight for civilization. What else happened yesterday? Some of some of you guys have sent this to me. <clears throat> the Ninth Circuit ruled two to one against the Little Sisters of the Poor, the religious exemption for the HHS HHS mandate, meaning that they cover abortifacients and any um, uh, employer based uh, medical insurance plan. Now, many of you might be wondering, well, didn't we win a court case on that quite a while ago? The famous Hobby Lobby case eight years ago that government, it's unconstitutional for government to mandate that an individual business must, you know, violate their conscience and provide this. And in this case, the Trump administration is siding with them. They, they don't want to do it. The courts are mandating you must do it. So you have a federal court telling the stronger executive branch of the federal government, you must infringe upon someone's pri private property, conscience, and religious liberty rights. What's so important about this? Well, number one, we're still losing the civilization battle. But this gets back to our thesis on the courts. Guess what? Once you agree that a court could is supreme. So if the Trump administration says it's unconstitutional and I'm not going to promulgate a regulation mandating uh, you know, contraception coverage on private business owners and religious institutions, and, if, and a federal court says, no, you must do that, the notion, once you agree that the courts are supreme, you're done. Well, Daniel, well, appeal to the Supreme Court. We did, and we already won. And comes in the lower courts and says, hey, hold my Dr. Pepper. Hey, you know, that's what I'm telling you. Lower courts do what they want. As, if they believe the Supreme Court wasn't liberal enough. Now, the minute the Supreme Court issues a radical liberal opinion, then, oh, that, that's like God's word from day one. This is just yet another example. I mean, another example we saw yesterday um, my home city, Baltimore. So it, it's um, full of drugs, gangs, crime. No one wants to live here. Businesses are moving out. And they're like, we have a genius idea. We're going to go and sue big corporations um, for being responsible for the pink unicorn of global warming. Oh, I mean, I forgot climate change um, or whatever they call it these days. Now, the notion that you could take a political issue in the abstract to court and sue a private company for it is insane. Now, you would. So the businesses appeal to the Supreme Court. and They're like, look, we don't have time 
We know this is frivolous. We know it, it cannot succeed. And we're not going to spend millions of dollars on it. You got to shut this down. They denied it. Now, there was no re re recording of um, a dissent. It's often there is, but not always. So it doesn't mean that Thomas and Alito necessarily went along with it. Although Alito, because of his um, personal stocks and just financial holdings, did um, recuse himself from it. But I'm just telling you, what we definitely know is that we didn't have five votes to stop it. That that much we know. And this is part of our broader thesis that we know is true, that we do not have anywhere near a Supreme Court majority that will categorically shut down this nonsense. And even if they did, if we continue agreeing that a lower court rules over the other branches of government on political issues, it doesn't matter. They, they come back for more. I mean, Hobby Lobby is one of the few categorical cases we won at the Supreme Court the last number of decades, and it's, it's meaningless. I mean, courts all over the country are, you know, mandating that Trump continue the contra contraception regulation. So, you know, that was there. But this goes on and on. On and on. The notion that a court could just veto stuff is, is just insane. It's utterly insane. There's one other thing I wanted to run by you just on the courts here. It's very interesting. In the Fifth Circuit Court, they dealt with something called the severability doctrine. and. I'm glad to see Judges Ho and Oldham rule the right way on this. Um, Judge Ho, uh, is, it was the boss of um, Josh Hammer, my friend we had on the show uh, two weeks ago to discuss judicial supremacism. But um, I'm glad they finally make the case I've been making for so long. So what, what's the severability doctrine? So what happens... <clears throat> what's been happening in the courts for quite some time is that the courts go and say, we're nullifying some sort of policy or law of a state or federal government. It's unconstitutional. In our mind, it's unconstitutional. And often it, it is, it's totally fine, but you know, that, that, that's how, that's how they are. And then they ask this question, well, what do we do with the other parts of the statute? Do we sever it out? Or do we say the whole law is struck down? And for years, we were saying that entire concept of saying that once a part of a law is struck down, the whole law is struck down is fundamentally violates the power of the judicial branch of government because they don't strike down the first part, much less the whole law. They don't strike down anything. There's no such thing as a judicial veto. What they do is they render an opinion in a case and say, hey, you plaintiff, you don't have to deal with that. But they don't, you know, they don't rip out, rip out the statute and go, you know, rip it up. That's not how it works. They just say, hey, I, I don't think that's constitutional. So look, we have no control over what the other branches do are doing, but I'm not gonna criminally convict you or issue a civil fine because I think I don't like that law. But you don't say, oh, that renders the law struck down. Therefore, let's question everything else that was coupled with that statute no so i'm glad to th this was a case i'm not going to get into the details it's not so important um but this was a case collins v mnuchin and 
you know, it's actually this is something conservatives wanted to strike down the whole federal housing uh, finance agency, where it's one of these like fourth branch of governments where the guy is, you know, an independent single director who could only be removed by cause. And I agree. I agree with the courtier. It's unconstitutional. I totally agree. But nonetheless, that is something the political branches have to deal with. The answer to that is Trump needs to say, I'm firing him on all these independent agency heads. I'm going to fire them because they, they're under my control. And that's it. It's not because you need a court to veto the law for him because courts don't have that power. So um, what they did is they, they said, like, pretty much everything in there is struck down. So Judge Oldham and Ho said, no, I mean, there's no such thing as striking down. And um, they noted, and, and, and I'm just going to read to you here, in the final constitution, the judiciary was given only the power to decide cases and controversies to resolve legal disputes between parties and order remedies to redress injuries. Thus, when a court concludes that a statute is unconstitutional, it is not striking down or voiding or invalidating the law. It is merely holding that the law may not be applied to the parties in the dispute. The Constitution does not empower courts to delete sections of state and federal codes. The founders expressly considered the possibility of a judicial veto, and they rejected it multiple times during the Constitutional Convention. They're referencing this Council of Revision. And as I've noted on this program several times, even when they entertained and then rejected this idea of a judicial veto, it was only coupled with the presidential veto. It was instead of it. And it was when the legislature was so much more powerful. Once the legislature was less pow powerful, it was bicameral. It didn't have power to veto state laws as it originally did under the first design. And then you had the separate check on the legislature of an independent presidential veto. There was no way they would have ever conceived a separate independent judicial veto independent of any elected representation. So I'm glad at least there's some judges that finally get that. And it's certainly not surprising it's a guy like Judge Ho. Um, thank you for doing that. Anyway, we're about out of time today. I hope today's show was informative as always. Um, we will discuss the issues that matter to you, not the soap opera, not the nonsense. Uh, send me your tips at dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. I certainly learn a lot from you. A lot of you guys are keeping me up to date on some of these crazy criminal cases, illegal alien cases in your neighborhoods and your cities and states that I would otherwise miss. And um, I've taken a lot of your cases to ICE and I've asked them, hey, is this guy an illegal? And uh, I've gotten information on that. So keep doing it to me. I can't promise I'm going to always have time to deal with every case, but too much information is never a problem. We should embrace information because information and knowledge is power. We need to empower the people. We need to empower all of us to fight back against this de-civilization, evil castration agenda. That's what it is. That's what we need to call it. And once you identify it, then we know what to fight against because, you know, let's face it, you can't fight something that you can't identify. Let's strip the PC's language, the euphemisms. I hate when our side uses the term LGB whatever. No, don't use their terms as if it's some sort of legitimate legal social codification no it is the most illegitimate evil criminal act and it needs to be treated as such till tomorrow god bless you all and thank you for listening